0: At a minute or so, I have 40. <laughs> That's what I told them. The first thing I'm going to do as a prophetic act is I'm taking off my boots. Because I'm called to bring the gospel uh, news, the good news of Jesus. And I don't think he would ask me to do it in three-inch heels. <laughs> I'm serious. I... Uh, It's just not possible to um, convey certain things. In fact, even trying would be to uh, rob myself of the um, happenings. Before I lose my mind completely, I want to start this thing out correctly because I have a responsibility every time I teach to stay within certain parameters, but then I'm going to blow out of those parameters and we're just gonna see what happens. Um, we are beginning a new series called Gate Check. It's coming out of the book of Nehemiah and I wanna to read to you, if, you um, if you're a member or if you come regularly and you've signed up, you've already read this. COVID-19 and its ramifications left many a mark on people in this nation not only physically, mentally, and emotionally, but spiritually as well. In our gate check series, we will be taking God's hand and following his lead on a spiritual perimeter check of our lives so that we can be healed, delivered, and restored into purpose as we step into the new year and to forever. You want to know why we are doing this? Because um, there are people who need the good news you and I have. And before we can check our gates, we first have to address our fallen walls. So that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And God, in His goodness and His love for you, sent me all the way to Mexico to retrieve a story I could come back and share with you. On that um, first full day of ministry, when we went to deliver food hampers, we met up with a local pastor who had linked arms with um, Casa de Esperanza, which is the Kunis Ministries and, uh, Center, and they were um, helping to build this man in his, in his call. His name, um, as was mentioned earlier, is Jesus. Isn't it interesting? It was Jesus. Clayton thought he was going with Paul. He was going with Jesus, too. And we met at this, this small lot in a really heavy cartel area. Uh, the oppression was so heavy, it almost set like a, like a spiritual fog on the place. It was so palpable to me. And I don't understand much of anything. I couldn't understand any of the language. Um, but I, I knew that. And he had a, a, a church, and his church looked like his church looked like maybe three walls standing on a tiny vacant lot and he was so grateful for it i could see this but i could also see the burden of his heart and i could hear him crying out i actually as we walked in i started getting this overwhelming sense of him at night on his bed and i could hear him praying to god and he was saying dios señor jesus please build my walls I need walls. Build my walls. I can't build my walls. My church needs walls. And it grieved him. It grieved him so much. And I thought it was pretty, a pretty obvious thing. But uh, he was so moved. And there were some other things that happened there. But, but here's the thing. God was saying to me as we, as we were returning back. He said, listen, I want you to turn a page. You know, when you go to a place like Mexico... I've been to Africa as well. And when you go to these places, you don't have to convince anybody of their need for Jesus. When I stand here on a Sunday morning, I have to be careful about what I say. I gotta make sure I'm not offending anybody. Because in order for you to receive Jesus, you first need to be convinced he's real. But when you go to a place Like Mexico, the need is so great, they already know they need a savior. You and I, we're warm, we're healthy, we, we have plenty to eat. I know that's not the case, but I think in general, we're a blessed nation. The problem is it steals from us because we don't remember that there's a reason for our being blessed, and that's Jesus. And the call on our nation has always been to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole earth, so you and I are blessed to be a blessing. It's not just cliche; it's the truth. So I need for you to know that my heart this morning is to just be obedient to what God is saying because God cares about walls. You know what the function is of walls. I'm sure it's it's not um, too big of a stretch here. Function of walls. Well, they protect, right? They also create a perimeter of defense in case you're attacked. They establish value. The same is true for individuals. The Pew Research and and Barna Group both reported that in particular Christians, they were speaking specifically about believers, that they're experiencing high levels of anxiety and mental health concerns like never before since COVID-19. That means you and I are sitting here and there is a good chance that you or your neighbor is experiencing high anxiety, fear, worry, stress, health issues like never before. And I want to tell you this morning, there's a good likelihood your walls are down and God wants to address your walls walls can be good things remember if I'm a city I need a wall we don't see this a lot in our in our nation but back in the Bible times if you didn't have a wall you were in big trouble because for 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 the natural So it is in in the, the spiritual, because walls protect. I need protection. I also need a place of defense. And the thing about walls, too, and I mentioned this before, is they establish value. What do I mean by that? Well, the greater the value of things that are within the city, the greater the need for a wall. So what that means is, like, I, 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 maybe I need to tell you, you are of great value. What you contain and what you were born to do is hugely valuable to the kingdom. But some of you don't have walls. You are so vulnerable, you're open to attack. And you have no idea of the value that you have that God says, I wanna protect. And since it, over the past few years, everything's gotten so shaky, your walls have crumbled down in places. Maybe it's not total destruction, but we need to address that. So here's my question What is the condition of your city, and how are your walls? Where are you at? Take a second. Can you say, I'm at peace? Can you say, I'm prospering, I'm well, God is blessing me, my family's good, my health is good, my mental state is good. Or would you say, no, I, I, got, a lot of, I got a lot of barriers going on right now, a lot, of, a lot of attacks happening right now. I don't want to leave this place the same way that we came into it, and that all comes down to choice. Because if God gives us a word, then it's our opportunity to make a shift. We still get to choose it or reject it. My challenge to you today is to rebuild the walls. Because as we go from here and we start addressing gates, it doesn't matter what you do with the gate if you don't have a wall to hang it in. Okay, are you tracking with me? All right. If you have your Bibles, let's follow along with me in the book of Nehemiah. It's this really hard-to-find book. Um, It's before you get to Psalms, so flip back to the left a little bit. And it's ahead of Esther, so if you get to Esther, keep going. Um, If you get to Ezra, you've gone too far. It's right there in between Ezra and Esther. All of those books are written about the same type of history, by the way. But anyway, I'm going to do some bullet points here. So buckle up, because you need to know what was really going on at the time Nehemiah shows up on the scene. If you don't know who he is, you will. Just hang in there. Here's here's a little bit of Nehemiah's backstory. The book of Nehemiah takes place after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. Now, you need to know that that was punishment from God. There are a lot of things that we accuse God of doing, and he's not responsible at all. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. However, if you're Old Testament Israel, you're God's people, he says, as long as you obey me, I will bless you and protect you. If you choose to go your own way, you're on your own. Okay, that was, that was what was issued to them way before. In fact, there's another book of prophets. These are minor prophets, but the book of Jeremiah is also a prophet guy. He's the, he heard from God back in those days. And he uh, was, was called by, by Yahweh to warn Israel that Jerusalem, Jerusalem would be destroyed by Babylon. By Babylon. He, he said, it's, it's coming. He spent, spent his whole life telling them, them about, it. about it. For 40 years, that, that means two, two generations, generations passed with the warning being sounded all the time by by a guy guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah. All right? If you were to go to Jeremiah 1, it says this, and this is Jeremiah talking. He says, The Lord said to me out of the north, the evil will break forth on the inhabitants of the land. Bad things are happening. For behold, I'm calling all the families of the kingdom of the north. That's Babylon, declares the Lord. And they will come, and they will set each one His throne, at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all its walls, round about, and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, and how they've forsaken me, they've offered sacrifices to other gods, and on and on. So, we have this actual account of a guy named Jeremiah saying, bad stuff is coming, coming, let's change our minds. They ignore it. For 40 years. So... Jerusalem was actually attacked twice by Babylon, and in the first time, it was less destructive than the second time. The first time when he came, they laid siege to the city, and the king surrendered at that time. Jehoiakim was his name. And so he was taken captive to Babylon. This is when a lot of exiles were taken. The majority of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Israel there, were taken to Babylon as captives. Okay? Okay? And this is when Daniel, Daniel would have gone, gone Shadrach, go, all of that. And Babylon set a well, kind of a, a stand king, king named Zechariah. No, Zef- what, is what is his name? Zedekiah. Zedekiah. There's, Zedekiah. There's a lot of Z's in, in here. And <clears throat> he, he set, set this king in, in charge, charge, and what happened was this guy rebelled. He refused to put, pay the taxes to Nebuchadnezzar. For 12 years, he was getting more and more rebellious. And finally, Babylon called his bluff. And so they surrounded the city, and it was bad. They surrounded it for over 30 months. And it was prophesied, by the way, that where where in that earlier verse in in Jeremiah talks about how how, um, other kings will sit at your gates, it actually happened. Jeremiah 39 talks about how Nebuchadnezzar's uh, advisors and everything, they came and they sat at the middle gate. Scholars think that was the horse gate, by the way. But they sat there and they deliberated about what they were going to do. But they laid siege for over 30 months, well, for about 30 months. And in those times, uh, it was so bad, people starved, those they didn't kill, uh, they died of starvation. Um, moms, Moms ate their children, it was bad it was evil and they could have avoided it all but one of the key things that they did let me just read these stats here the walls of the city were torn down and the royal palace other structures in the city anything prominent was not only laid waste it was burned and archaeologists have have discovered proof of this by the way the holy temple the one that Solomon built you know the one that was amazing it was absolutely obliterated. It was burned, and every piece of gold and silver, anything of value, bronze, sculptures, statues, figurines, serving implements, everything was taken. It was either looted or it was taken back to Babylon as a boon. The, the stand-in king, of course, was killed, and many of the high priests were also killed. Um, it, was, it was pretty deadly. Many of the thousands of people that had escaped the sword, they were again taken prisoner and led into captivity back to Babylon, uh, where some of their best had already preceded them. Only the poorest residents of Jerusalem were left there, and they were given vineyards to tend, because you know a king's got to keep making taxes. It wasn't a great way to live. So for essentially 70 years, Jerusalem became a ghost town. Had it gone the way that most places did in ancient Israel, it would, not be, it would never have revived. But God had a plan. God uh, raised up a king later on in, in Babylon, and his name was Cyrus. He'd been influenced by Daniel. And he let all of the captives have the choice to return back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem only 50,000 Jews went of the over 2 to 3 million. That's 2% of the population. And they were sent with with the, the idea to rebuild the temple and the walls. They completed the rebuilding of the temple under Ezra, who came before Nehemiah in your Bible. But the walls failed to be rebuilt. They, they kept confronting opposition after opposition after opposition. They could not get the work done. So now we're into book of Nehemiah. Do you have whiplash yet? Good. The book of Nehemiah begins 15 years after the book of Ezra ends, okay? Jerusalem and the walls have been destroyed for 141 years. All hope is lost forever rebuilding the city because everybody knows, in that day and age, not just Israelites, everybody knows a city is not a city without walls. They had rebuilt the temple, much smaller, not the same, but they had no walls. It was not a city. Now, Nehemiah, at at this point in time, he's actually serving... Artaxerxes, who's the king of Babylon, and he is his cupbearer. And his job is, of course, what you're thinking it is. He would test whatever's been given to the king to drink to make sure it's not poisoned. Seems like a precarious um, situation. However, it was one of, well, great influence because he had the king right there. He had access to him. And what happens is, one day, he hears the news of Jerusalem, and, and I'm, I'm going to take you through these steps that I've noticed in rebuilding walls, because I know that I know that I know that we are headed into a season prophetically. You don't have to agree with me, but I believe that God is taking us into a season where he wants to bless, but the season is not going, the blessing isn't going to be accomplished by just sitting there. We have to fight for it. And if we don't have our walls established and built and secure, we are not going to be able to handle the blessing that God has. God is good enough to disqualify us for blessings if we don't have the maturity to handle them. We don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. How many of you would say, I could really use a blessing, I could really use God showing up for me this year, because last year was rough? Well... Listen, you got some work to do, so do I. And it has to start with rebuilding the walls. You don't do it alone, though. God is with you, and there are some key steps to getting this accomplished. So are you ready? All right, here we go. Nehemiah 1 begins with him getting the news that um, Jerusalem is in a state of major catastrophe and disrepair. And and the step one is take responsibility because here's the thing you got to confront the problem. I believe it was uh, Valentin, Chris Valentin, that said that you cannot conquer what you are unwilling to confront. You have to take responsibility. So Nehemiah hears about the state of Jerusalem. He's sad. He doesn't need to go back to Jerusalem, he's golden. And yet he hears of what is going on. And it says this in verse 4. It says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Man, he took responsibility. It didn't belong to him. It didn't have to be his. But he stood up. And he prayed to God and he said, listen, God, I'll go. I'll, I'll be your word. I'll be the one who leads this. I'll be the one who says, uh, yes, I'm going to rebuild the walls. If you you will just say go, I'll say yes, but I need your help. And so God shows up for him. And, you know, it's funny because in taking responsibility, and and Nehemiah does this, if you keep reading in in verse uh, 7, he talks about um, Israel's history. I know we screwed up, essentially is what he's saying. The things that have happened to our city happened because we did not listen. So there's true ownership of this, but there's also honesty in saying, listen, this is the way it is. That, we call that repentance. If, if you want your walls rebuilt, if you, if the first step is to take ownership of it and to repent. And say, listen, God, I, I, can't, I, I want to step in the, the fullness of who you are. And I, I've really screwed it up. Forgive me. I want to do-over. Help me. What I know is that he's good enough to show up for you. Nehemiah took ownership. He left his uh, position for a time. They didn't get fired or anything, but he traveled nine hundred miles. It took him three months to get there. He truly owned this baby. And he walked into the unknown looking for a solution. That wall that he was going to tackle was about 1.7 miles long and it was about six and a half feet wide. This was not a little garden wall. This was massive. Now, the second thing thing that I noticed that Nehemiah did in in chapter 2 is that he petitioned the king. And I want to speed this up because I I know time's going to get away from me if I don't. So, hang on. God answers Nehemiah's prayer. Listen, God is just sitting, waiting for you to say yes. You don't have to beg him for him to show up in your life and turn things around. He actually wants it more than you do. If you'll come to him in a place where you say, okay, Jesus, I just... I can't keep going like this. Like I'm seeing, uh, I, there's a funk here in me and I, I want to get it addressed. He's like, yes, yes and amen, let's go. You don't have to beg. And the same happened with, uh, with Nehemiah. He goes to the king and he says, that, actually the king asked him, why are you so down? And he says, well, there's this going on. And the king gives, not only gives him permission to go to Jerusalem, but he also sends with him supplies provision, and he also sends with him letters speaking on Nehemiah's behalf. This is a big deal because when you have the king's favor, you have protection, you have provision, and there are doors that open for you. You can't open on your own. You want to build your walls? Awesome, get the king's favor. Guess what? You already have it. Step three survey the damage. This is when, this is another part of this, taking an honest look at what's really going on. When Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, it says that he goes, in verse 11 he says that um, he came down to Jerusalem, he was there for three days, then he gets up in the middle of the night and he travels around the perimeter of the wall. What's he doing? He's doing a perimeter check. He's checking where the greatest weaknesses are in that wall because he has the goal in mind to be a tool to fix that wall. He wants it rebuilt because he knows it's the heart of God. And then once he's assessed the damage, he can go to the people and say, here's the issue. Listen, where in your life can you tell, like maybe your walls aren't completely down. I, I doubt that they are because if you are with Jesus, chances are you've got some wall standing. But you might only have a portion. Ask yourself, where are my walls down? How bad is the damage? Do I have a major gaping hole in this area of pride to where I'm unwilling to yield? Is that where the hole in my wall is? How about, um, how about, ooh, this is a tough one because they're all related. See, the walls are connected all the way around, so there's always a connection. If you've got a problem with pride, you might have a problem with unforgiveness. Directly linked. You gotta let it go. Your wall's down. You are suspect, you are, you are, what is the word? Thank you, you are susceptible to attack. And not only, not only are, is, it, is it likely, it's probable. What about unlovingness? What about contention? What about um, the uh, the unwillingness to give at all? I'm not talking money. I'm talking of yourself. What about what about devotion to God? How's your wall standing there? What's that look like for you? So, at the end, when the wall was rebuilt, that they actually marched on top of the wall, like eight people thick. How's that section of your wall? Can 8 people walk on it? We got to take an honest look. We got to inspect the damage so that you know where you're most prone to attack. Step 4, you got to partner with like-minded people. Now, this is this was really interesting to me when I was in Mexico because Mexico like here, we got to keep things just so. If I were in Mexico, I would have about four plus hours to convey this message to you. (laughs) But here I have parameters. Why? Because you won't stick around, which is fine. I'm not sure I would stick around either. But when you go to a place like Mexico, they're so hungry for Jesus that they're like, just give me all the goods. Like, give me what you got. I want to grow and I want to go I want to I want to see the kingdom expanded and they really value church and in a lot of the neighborhoods that we went into they couldn't get to church because they were afraid of the cartel killing them while they walked five blocks or so they wanted it and they couldn't get to it that's a tragedy we've got it and we don't want it something's got to change I feel like as we're stepping into this part of the harvest, I believe that this harvest that we're stepping into in 2023 is also a change in direction, and it has to do with evangelism because we've lost our, our first love, which is this, this love of seeing people get set free in Jesus. Most of you are not called to the church like I am most of your work does not take you to a sunday morning gig that you show up for for two and a half three hours and then you see how much of a difference you can make that's not the majority of you here in this room am i right but you are all called nonetheless there is a mandate on your lives as jesus believers to spread the good news why because God loves people so much, He doesn't want them to die without an understanding of that love for them. And it's up to you and I to take it to them. So everything that you do, you do as unto the Lord, right? It says that in the Bible. If your, your day job is a mason or a floor installer or a teacher or an administrator, a secretary a builder, whatever your job is, a professor, whatever that is, that's your ministry. And, and your, those people around you, man, they, they're hungry for Jesus. We're seeing people hungry for Jesus across this nation like never before. So the Christians then have to rise up and they have to go and say, I know how you can get him. And one of those ways is not just showing them, listen, I don't need an audience. It's probably not good for me. What I do love to do is to teach the truth about the gospel because I believe in it. It's changed my life. It's transformed everyone I know within my sphere. I believe in it. I would die for it. And when Nehemiah sets set to the task of rebuilding the wall he called families and businesses people who were like-minded to partner to build sections and that's how they accomplished this listen a church is a great way to find a family to find a like-minded person so that you can rebuild the walls and keep them standing look around this room seriously look around have you guys looked to this side have you guys looked to this side everybody in between these are like-minded people this is a decently large gathering of like-minded people who want to support you in your walk with Christ partner let's partner can we partner i think it's important we got to start asking people to partner with us so we can push through some things because God wants to rebuild our walls you are a city on a hill Your light is meant to shine, to change the world around you. You are of great value. Step five, plan for opposition, but expect victory. Remind yourself and the enemy who's in charge. This is exactly what Nehemiah did. He divided the the jobs the wall into 41 sections and he gave them to to the friends and the families whatever and they began work on that and the whole time they were absolutely under attack constant it never abated it never left up let up if you have tackled if you if you have set in your heart i'm going to tackle this wall situation in my life you will meet with opposition yes you will And that opposition will convince you that you're not worth it. You should probably quit. And Facebook is more entertaining anyway. Stop it. I'm not talking to you. I'm just going to say to those voices, those voices that convince us, they they keep going with us day in and day out, and they convince us that we're really not worth it, that we don't have to pursue harder, that we don't have to work that hard, that it's really just not going to end in anything anyway, so why bother? No, in Jesus' name I declare to you, you are a city of great value. There is work for you to do. And you know what, It'll, it is what will be the making of you because it's only when you're doing what God's called you to do that you finally know who you are. And listen, nobody knows you better than Jesus. Nobody knows you better than Father God and nobody can communicate better than Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter what the enemy says. And, and here's what Nehemiah he said. He said, listen, we are under attack and, and our enemies will try to kill us. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to have a sword in one hand and you're going to have a hammer in the other and you're going to get busy. If they even took turns. They would have shifts. So half of them would be guarding and the other half would be building and they tackled different tasks, and they, they did what it was they were called to do. And here's what happened, they were, <laughs> Nehemiah kept reminding them, our God will fight for us. Yes, there's an enemy, yes, he's real, but our God will fight for us. Your God will fight for you. It only takes a yes. Nehemiah was absolutely reliant upon God. And he he taught the people to be that way as well. And what was the result of that? Well, that wall had lain in ruins for 141 year, years. He and the people rebuilt it in 52 days. 52 days. And that wall was repaired. Do you know if God had been opposed to it it never would have happened God is not opposed to you getting healthy whole and set free He wants it for you and he is absolutely engaged in what's going on in your life If you are unhappy if you are unsatisfied if you are feeling like you are never going to hit it and you're not sure why you're here guess what your walls down and God has a solution for you. It's time to rebuild the wall. I'm telling you, I feel it so heavy in my heart and in my spirit that God has some amazing stories that He wants to birth out of some lives here. And some of you are saying, well, that happens to other people, but it doesn't happen to me. No, because you don't say yes, say yes. Rebuild the walls. Man, I'm passionate about it because I've watched God do it in my own life. I am nothing without him. I am nothing without him. I would just be some stuck-up religious little girl in the middle of nowhere, going nowhere and making no difference in anybody's life if God hadn't shown up and said, I care about the state of your walls. I got a plan for you. And you're going to miss it. If you don't stop now and take care of business, I said yes, and let me tell you, he did the heavy lifting. It's the only way to do it. You know what I love about this is that Isaiah 49 talks about how God's heart is concerned with the rebuilding of walls. In fact, over his people, Zion, it's it's another name for Jerusalem, but it's also a picture of you and I, because we carry him within our cities. Do you hear me? You carry within you Jesus Christ. This is a temple that dwells within you. That's why your walls are important. And he said this in verse 14 of chapter 49. He says, but Zion said, that's you and me, put your name in there. But I said to the Lord, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. He won't do it for me. He doesn't care about me. And God replies and says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. He says, behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. It looked like holes. And he said, your walls are continually before me. You don't walk alone. You don't walk unseen. And the lies that you take hold of that keep you unhappy are that simply lies. God is invested in who you are and what you do. And He wants to light you up and send you out to change the world around you. If you've not stepped into that, you have great things coming. And all it takes is a yes. Let's stand. Why not? I'm just going to lead us in this collective prayer. And I'm gonna, I did this earlier this morning, and it worked so well then. I think I'll do it again now. When we were on the team, uh, Nikki and Miranda um, introduced us to Korean-style praying. You ever heard of that? That's when everybody prays at the same time. It's awesome. It releases a sound that you could not do on your own. And I feel like when it happens, God extends his ear. It's like he bends closer. He's already here, but we're going to practice that. First, we're going we're gonna to pray I want you to know it wouldn't matter how crappy my sermon was or how awesome it was, and I don't care whichever your vote is. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. It doesn't matter because God is the one that's concerned. He's the one that's involved here. Words without power are just noise. So either God's going to do it or he's not. Either God is God or he's not. I love to say that. If either God's God or he's not, but you're never going to know if you don't step up at some point in your life and make a switch. Why not now? It's a new year. The month isn't over yet. How about we start today? So go ahead and lift your arms, hands in surrender. You can do whatever you want. It's just that sometimes I think we need to do things and get engaged in what's going on. Now, I'm going to pray for us. You can copy my prayer, but then I'm going to release you to extend to God what's on your heart. To restart so that you leave here changed. Jesus, I know I, I have work to do on these walls. And, and let me tell you what, God, it overwhelms me. It's too much for me. And I'm so thankful today, Holy Spirit, that you care. That you're the one that says, if you'll just partner with me, I will speed up the process And what has been failing for 141 years can be accomplished in 52 days, just because I'm in it. God, thank you for that. This morning, I just want to surrender completely and fully once again. Maybe some of you, some of you might say later of this day, that's when I came to faith in Christ. Like I knew him, but I didn't know him until that day. Jesus, come into my life. I confess that you are Lord. And I confess that you died and rose to save me. And I'm turning my focus back on you. And I'm inviting you right now. Rebuild my walls. You rebuild my walls. I don't want to do this anymore without you i don't want to live life without you i don't want to be in pain i don't want to be angry and unhappy and sad i need you rebuild my walls now as i exit the the platform i want you to continue praying and I want you to pray in your out loud voice something happens when we when we open our mouths and we confess that Jesus is Lord if it looks like worship then find worship but right now I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one two three and you're gonna go ready one two three pray